Well, I do uh, appreciate some of our, our friends in, in our local area here that are willing to come and, and help us at this time. And uh, Pastor Hobie is one of those that I, I count as a good friend. Um, he and I have gotten to travel together over to Heritage Baptist with Pastor Fagan for the pastor's Bible, or well, book study. It's include, Bible's included in that. But we've had the joy, I've had the joy of fellowshipping with him on the way over there and on the way back. Sometimes he drives and comments about my driving. Sometimes, well, wait, he's, no, when I drive, he comments about my driving um, and vice versa. But we, we just really have appreciated his friendship over these years, getting to know him. And uh, he is a very careful um, interpreter of God's word and uh, studies and I know that I've gone to Kevin many times and said, what do you think about this? What do you think about this issue? And he always gives me a very careful, well-thought-out um, answer, which I greatly appreciate. So I know that we're going to have a well-thought-out message from God's Word tonight. So I'm thankful, brother, that you're able to be with us, thankful for your friendship, and looking forward to your sharing God's Word with us tonight. May I have you turn in your Bibles, please, to uh, Exodus chapter 28. And as you do so, let me just say it's a great privilege for me to be here with you tonight in worship with Village Chapel Baptist Church. You have been in our prayers uh, for many years as a sister church, and uh, it's been a joy to know Brock and Leslie as dear good friends as well. And we're praying for you now. And we'll continue our prayers for you. Uh, we love you in the Lord. And we are thankful for your ministry for Christ. It was such a blessing to hear the testimony of the gospel going out and disciples being made and uh, a faithful witness of this church. And trust that that will continue by God's grace. We're, we're, we're very, very thankful for you here uh, in uh, our neighboring town just up the road. Uh, share a blessing of my own with you. I was at uh, a sister church in North Conway, First Baptist Church in North Conway, where they have this Driving for Masteries conference. And Rob and Stephanie have been there before, and they've sung for us, and their family has uh, ministered music to us there before. Uh, it's hosted by Lawrence Brown, another good friend of mine. And uh, this time we were treated to the ministry of Dave Wetzel, uh, Paul's son who is an expert on creation and evolution. And I learned so much about the Ice Age. It was, that was my favorite uh, topic of this past uh, time. And what was interesting to me, though, is that they kind of did a write-up, a bio, of each of the speakers that they had. They had a number of speakers. And so Dave put together a bio for uh, that purpose. And it really talked about a lot about the home he had grown up in and how he had parents who loved the Lord and what an influence that was upon his life. And then he said something that I am sure I will never forget in that bio. I may drop my notes, but I'll never forget this. <laughs> I don't need notes for it. But he talked about how in his life he had struggled with assurance and how he believed he knew the Lord, but couldn't quite remember if he had uh, 
you know, trusted the Lord, prayed right, the right prayer, whatever. And he shared that with his dad, Paul. And he says that Paul said that, asked him a couple questions. Um, if you don't remember your birthday and you can't find your birth certificate, do you still know that you're alive? And uh, I guess that settled it for Brother Dave. Um, Dad kind of gave him that good advice. Of course, I know I'm alive because I'm living. And isn't that the key to our assurance in the Lord that he's uh, creating this new life in us? And we are able to rejoice in that together. Um, so thank you, Dad. Thank you for raising a good son and for the blessing that he was to us this past week. Uh, it takes two. It takes two, and mom. That's right. <laughs> okay. Thank you for that. All right. Well, we're in Exodus chapter 28. I'll just read the first five verses here. Uh, this is the Lord speaking to Moses, and he says, And take thou unto thee Aaron thy brother, and his sons with him from among the children of Israel, that he may minister unto me in the priest's office, even Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar, Aaron's sons. And thou shalt make holy garments for Aaron, thy brother, for glory and for beauty. And thou shalt speak unto all that are wise-hearted, whom I have filled with the spirit of wisdom, that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him that he may minister unto me in the priest's office. These are the garments which they shall make, a breastplate and an ephod and a robe and a broidered coat, a miter and a girdle, and they shall make holy garments for Aaron thy brother and his sons, that he may minister unto me in the priest's office. They shall take gold and blue and purple and scarlet and fine linen. Let's ask God to bless our time in the Word tonight. Father, we thank you for your Word. We thank you for uh, how it teaches us what it is you have done for us in Christ. We pray, Lord, that as a delivered people from the bondage of our sin, we would learn much about your will for our lives here this evening, that we'd be encouraged and strengthened in that calling by the power of your Spirit, Father, we do pray for uh, some of those requests that were mentioned this evening. I'm sure I will miss many of them, but I, I do pray for Parker and I believe it was Roberta and their health needs especially. We ask, Father, that you would undertake for these. And uh, Lord, as uh, there may be a need of salvation as well, as we have heard, we pray, Father, that uh, even these sicknesses would lead them to the Savior and that they would not have to face their mortality without the assurance of eternal life. Lord, again, we thank you for this time. We pray that all that we do would be done in love. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The book of Exodus is a wonderful book. Uh, we've been studying it for a number of uh, months, really, down uh, in New Boston. Uh, it's a book of deliverance. It's a book of redemption. The word Exodus means the way out. And so it's a book about how really the nation of Israel was born through being 
uh, finding a way out of Egypt and the bondage of Egypt. And so it's a book of deliverance and of a delivered people. In chapters 1 through 4, the text tells us about the need for deliverance and the oppression of the people of God. And then also about how they find a deliverer. God calls Moses, and Moses seems to be an unlikely choice in some ways, although we learn that he is wonderfully prepared by the Lord to lead the people ultimately, Uh, though he had many excuses why he didn't want to and why he didn't think he was qualified, still God provides this deliverer, chapters 1 through 4. And then in chapters 5 through 18, we read about the deliverance of uh, those that were in bondage and how they came out of Egypt uh, as a new nation. And this deliverance was opposed at every uh, turn from the very first miracle of Moses' rod turning into a serpent uh, to the parting of the Red Sea when they went through and the uh, Egyptian army was destroyed. Uh, Step after step after step, God's work of deliverance was opposed by the enemy and at times counterfeited. At times, uh, the Egyptian army wanted to destroy them on their way through the Red Sea, that kind of thing. But at every turn, when God was delivering his people, the enemy tried to oppose that work. And yet, God's work of deliverance was unstoppable, wasn't it? They were delivered. And God overcame uh, at every turn. God's determination to save his people is unstoppable. And in the final section of Exodus, chapters 19 through 40, we really learn what the delivered life is like. The life of the delivered is a very special life. Uh, Chapter 19, we learn that it's a covenantal life. In other words, it's based on a relationship with the Lord that's based upon a promise that he has made to his people to save them from their sins. It's very much like a, a wedding, if you will. The delivered people are married to the Lord in a covenantal relationship. And then in chapters 20, where we have the Ten Commandments, through chapter 24, we find that the life of the delivered is a lawful life. In other words, it's a changed life. We don't live the way we used to, breaking God's law. That law is now written upon our hearts, and we desire to obey God's law because we've been delivered out of the bondage of our sin. And that's, uh, again, verses uh, chapters 20 through 24. And then beginning in chapter 25, all the way through the end of the book, chapter 40, we find that the delivered life is a worshiping life or a worshipful life. And we learn much about God's priority on worship in those chapters. The tabernacle or the dwelling place of God is at the center of the worshiping life of the delivered in those chapters. And so as we study those chapters, uh, we spend time examining the furniture and all the things of the tabernacle. We learn that uh, much about our lives as worshipers from the tabernacle, Christ is at the center and he's the one that we worship and it's all about him. That's a very important lesson. But it's interesting how these chapters are structured because in the beginning of the chapter, we spend a lot of time reading the instructions of how the tabernacle, the things of the tabernacle are supposed to be put together. 
And then you go to the end of that section and you spend a lot of time reading chapters about how those instructions were performed in great detail, very accurately following the instructions. And so one of the things we learn about worship is that God tells us how to worship and he expects us to worship him according to those instructions. This is the regulatory uh, principle of worship, that we worship God as he wants to be worshiped. We don't invent our own ways to worship the Lord, uh, though creativity is a wonderful thing. Um, when it comes to worshiping God, he tells us, he gives us some instructions, and we need to follow those with great specificity. And so we read about the things of the tabernacle, and then here in chapter 28, we're actually reading about the people of the tabernacle. God designed a priesthood uh, for the tabernacle to teach a delivered people some very important principles about their worship and how their life ought to be a worshiping life. And so we're going to look at uh, this passage here uh, about the priests. The English uh, form of our word priest comes from the Greek we translate as elder. Or the word presbyteros is the Greek word for elder. We get our English word priest, it turns out, from that Greek word presbyteros. Uh, the Greek word for priest in our New Testament is translated hierus, or translates hierus. That's the Greek word. Uh, that word is also used to translate the Old Testament Hebrew word for priest, kohen, in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Septuagint. So hierus is the word for priest. It's related to an adjective uh, that we would uh, describe as hieros, hieros. And hieros means holy uh, or sacred. It's used in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15 of the scriptures where Paul is talking to Timothy about what a blessed life he lived, kind of like Dave Wetzel this way, where from a childhood he knew the holy scriptures, which were able to make him wise unto salvation. And so this word holy scriptures, that word holy is the word hieros, the adjective relate, related to the noun hierus, which is our word for priest. And so, on the one hand, scriptures are holy in the sense that they are inspired by God as his book to make sinners understand supernaturally how Jesus can save them from their sin. But on the other hand, the Bible uh, also tells us of a hierus, a priest speaks of a person who is set apart by God as an, in an uncommon way. He no longer belongs in this category we call ordinary or typical. For he is God's priest. He's a hierus. He's holy. He's set apart. And just like the holy book is critical when it comes to making us wise unto salvation, this work of saving sinners, so also the ministry of the priests of God are very important when it comes to leading others to the Savior. And we'll see that in a minute here. So what does priesthood, uh, even the priesthood of Exodus chapter 28, 
have to do with the worshiping life of the one delivered by God? I think Martin Luther gave us a wonderful answer to that question. After many centuries of confusion over this answer, what does priesthood have to do with our lives today? Luther uh, basically grew up in a Christendom in which only the clergy were priests. Through their power to administer the sacraments, they were the mediators between God and man from cradle to the grave. And as Luther thought about this and came to understand uh, how wrong this was compared to what Scripture teaches about priests and the priesthood, uh, he wrote a book called The Babylonian Captivity. He said that basically the Roman church was holding believers captive with this idea that you need a priest to get to God, a human priest, uh, a merely human priest. He wrote, quote, It is faith that makes men priests, faith that unites them to Christ and gives them the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, whereby they become filled with all holy grace and heavenly power. The inward anointing, this oil better than any that ever came from the horn of bishop or pope, gives them not the name only, but the nature, the purity, the power of priests. And this anointing have all they receive to our believers in Christ. And so we are priests, according to what Luther says there. And his doctrine agrees with the doctrine of the Apostle Peter, doesn't it? Writing to otherwise ordinary believers scattered all over the known world, Peter says this about them. He says they are, quote, lively stones built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 2.5. And then in verse 9 of that chapter, he says, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So I want to encourage my fellow priests tonight. God designed the Aaronic priesthood in our passage in part to teach every believer, each one of us here, something important about it, what it means to live a worshiping life as God's priest. And I'll just have us notice three things from the passage about our ministry in that regard tonight. Number one, I want us to see that God's priests are brought near. God's priests are brought near. Look at verse 1 with me again. The Lord says to Moses, And take thou unto thee Aaron thy brother and his sons with him from among the children of Israel, that he may minister unto me in the priest's office, even Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar, Aaron's sons. God's priests are brought near. Last weekend, I enjoyed some time with our sister church in Wyndham, uh, Heritage Baptist Church. Brock mentioned how we get to commute down there, or have been able to commute down there for our book studies. And uh, we discuss uh, the book on the way. So we're kind of, you know, maybe I read a chapter he didn't read or vice versa. But we've had good fellowship down there in Wyndham. I was there for the uh, 
uh, ordination service of Craig Brunson, who's going to Central Asia. Uh, he, his ministry and calling is really uh, in such a dangerous country, I'm not allowed to tell you what country he's going to. I can only say Central Asia, but a uh, wonderful young man of God. I was there uh, enjoying the fellowship, and I got to meet a couple, a very young couple. They've only been married nine weeks. Uh, I can't remember their last name, but it's Jordan and Hannah, and they're going to accompany Craig to Central Asia in this ministry that the Lord has called them to, and had a real delightful conversation with them in part because they knew some of my family members. So Jordan, it turns out, was the dorm counselor for my son Brandon when he was at Bob Jones University. And uh, Brandon tells me a story. Jordan didn't tell me this, but evidently Jordan came into Brandon's room there uh, in the dorm and told the guys that they really didn't need to fill that uh, kiddie swimming pool quite that full. Um, so that was the kind of thing poor Jordan was dealing with, with my son Brandon, unfortunately. But anyway, Brandon and Jordan became good friends, and it was kind of neat to talk to Jordan about those days and some of the things that they experienced together. And then his wife Hannah, it turns out, knew my brother Kent, because Hannah grew up at Grace Church in, North, uh, in Northeast uh, Ohio, where my brother pastors, and so... Uh, these two knew some of my family members, and it was neat to call out those family relationships. Well, the Lord calls out a family relationship in his design for the priesthood of Israel in this passage. Did you notice that? He actually calls it out three times in these five verses. And it's the fact that Aaron is Moses' brother. Verse 1, we read, Aaron thy brother. Uh, take a look at verse, let's see, which, where am I in my notes here? Um, verse 2, uh, you see, Aaron, thy brother, for glory and for beauty. And then also verse 4, Aaron, thy brother. The Lord calls Aaron Moses' brother three times. And you know, that's not an insignificant thing when you're reading your Old Testament. Uh, part of Hebrew narrative is this way of emphasizing something by saying it three times. Remember what the uh, seraphim were saying to the Lord, high and lifted up. They didn't just say he's holy, right? They said, holy, holy, holy. And they emphasized it three times. Um, it's a passage in 1 Samuel where it talks about Samuel's ministry at Ramah. And three times it says he was there, he was there, he was there. And then it talks about how his kids kind of didn't follow in his footsteps and weren't the same blessing to Israel that their dad had been. And I think the reason we have this emphasis on Samuel being there in Ramah was that he was there with his sons. And he's kind of exonerated, really, uh, that his sons didn't quite follow in his footsteps by that emphasis. And here we have an emphasis that Aaron is Moses' brother. The Lord is highlighting that for us. 
And the phrase at the beginning of verse 1 in our King James Version says, Take unto thee. That's a very significant instruction, it turns out. We could literally translate it, bring near to yourself. So Aaron is becoming the high priest of Israel by being brought near to Moses, who, by the way, is his brother. The Lord is highlighting a connection between Moses and Aaron, between the one sent for the deliverance of Israel, Moses, and the one chosen to be the high priest of Israel, Aaron. And ordinarily, Moses is very much alone in the book of Exodus. He's the only one that's allowed to ascend Mount Sinai. But here, Moses is commanded specifically to bring Aaron and his sons near to himself. They now belong right next to him. We have this emphasis that they're related. And the author of Hebrews, I think probably Luke, picks up on this nearness of Moses and Aaron when he describes Christ Jesus in Hebrews chapter 3. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 3 for a minute. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1 says, Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. You know what apostle means? Apostle means sent one. Moses was the apostle of Israel. He is the one sent by God to deliver them. We know what high priest means. High priest was Aaron. He was the one who offered sacrifice for the nation of Israel. And here these two offices come together in the person and ministry of Jesus Christ for our salvation. Jesus Christ is the apostle, the Moses, and the high priest, the Aaron, of our profession. And so the writer of Hebrews will go on and he'll describe how Jesus Christ is far greater than Moses. Just like the maker of the house is greater than the house. And it will also say that Jesus Christ is far greater than Aaron. In fact, Jesus is a priest according to not the Aaronic priesthood, but the Melchizedekian priesthood. Fulfillment of Psalm 110, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And so the Melchizedekian priest is a king priest. On the one hand, you have the apostle, the, the sent deliverer, the ruler of Israel. And on the other hand, you have the high priest who offers the sufficient sacrifice for the sins of the people. And they're brought together in the person and work of our Savior, Jesus Christ, for our sins. And so, you know, the Aaronic priesthood that we read about in Exodus 28 is really only half the picture <laughs> of the true priesthood that Jesus leads. 
And so Hebrews 3.1 mentions this for us. But did you notice what else it says? It says much about Christ, but it says some things about us as well, doesn't it? It says, wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling. Consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. This is our profession. This is our calling. We partake in this priesthood that's Melchizedekian. He is the royal high priest, and we are his royal priesthood. Again, 1 Peter 2.9. And what this means for us practically is that we can draw near to him and with him for our deliverance and that of others. The priests are brought near to Moses. And we have our Moses and our Aaron in Christ. And so... There's much in the book of Hebrews about our need as priests to draw near, right? Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16 says, Therefore let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Chapter 7, verse 19, There is a bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. 7.25, Therefore he is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. 10.22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And 11.6, and without faith it is impossible to please him. Whoever, whoever would draw to, near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And this is our profession. This is our calling, our vocation to draw near unto and with our Moses and our Aaron, Jesus Christ. We are those who have been brought near to him as God's priest, and we are brought near for a work of eternal consequence. And I heard testimony tonight about how that Work is ongoing, being accomplished by God's priests. Can you see this morning that we who are saved by grace through faith not only are recipients of eternal life, but we are called to a profession, commissioned as priests to do this work of drawing near the Lord. Is it enough that we are saved while others are lost? No, not for the priests of God. We have a mission of deliverance for the world. As Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. And so priests are brought near and commissioned. All right, a second thing from Exodus 28, why don't we go back there again. Let's see that God's priests are clothed with priestly garments. God's priests are clothed with priestly garments. This is easier to notice in the passage, isn't it? The whole five verses are about these garments and the description of them. 
I have a picture of my son Kent on my computer uh, at a work day at our church. We had just had some trees removed from the side of our church, and what remained there was a big pile of mud, actually. We had a man in our church named Jim Dane, uh, Kevin St. John, would consider him one of the heroes of the faith, as I do as well. And uh, he told us at the time we were considering taking down those trees that then when they were that high Jim told everybody that they should come down before they got too big but uh, we let them get too big and they threatened the building and we took them down and it kind of left this muddy, muddy mess and there were rocks kind of in the way of the exit the fire exit there on the side of the building and so we were picking up those rocks in this mud and my son Kent was in the middle of all this he was standing there in this mud puddle, uh, basically with mud from head to his toe and a big boulder in his hand. And he had this look on his face like, when is this work day going to end? And I couldn't help but snap a picture of that. Uh, so I have that on my computer. Uh, you know, that picture taken uh, is taken of a high priest. Very similar picture in Zechariah chapter 3. Verses 1 through 5. Turn with me there, if you would, please. Zechariah chapter 3. This priest's name is Joshua, and he ministered in the days of Zechariah. And he's filthy from head to toe. It says, And he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. When Satan resists one of God's priests, he does through as the accuser of the brethren especially. Satan means adversary. He is our enemy, and he will whisper into our ears accusations against the brethren. And you know when you're filthy from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet, Satan might have some things to work with there. And that seems to be the case here in this passage. Let's read on. It says, And the Lord said unto Satan, The Lord rebuke thee, O Satan. Even the Lord that hath chosen Jerusalem rebuke thee. Is not this a brand plucked out of the fire? Just a brand plucked out of the fire before it turns to ash fire of God's judgment. Joshua, the high priest of Israel, just a brand plucked out of the fire to survive. Now Joshua, verse 3, was clothed with filthy garments and stood before the angel. And he answered and spake unto those that stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And unto him he said, Behold, I have caused thine iniquity to pass from thee, and I will clothe thee with change of raiment. And I said, Let them set a fair mitre upon his head. So they set a fair mitre upon his head and clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord stood by. So the high priest was ready to serve. Because he had this change of garments. Bible says all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, right? But we are robed in the righteousness of our Savior when we come to him for salvation. 
Joshua's filthy robes were exchanged for the holy garments of the priesthood. And this exchange happens to every true believer saved from the filth of his sin by grace through faith. Praise the Lord. I stand before you, not in my own righteousness, but clothed like Joshua with this exchange of robes. There's a song about that, isn't there? It's probably in your blue book. It's called His Robes for Mine, a wonderful exchange. Clothed in my sin, Christ suffered neath God's rage. Draped in his righteousness, I'm justified. In Christ I live, for in my place he died. I cling to Christ and marvel at the cost. Jesus forsaken, God estranged from God. Bought by such love, my life is not my own. My praise, my all, shall be for Christ alone. His robes for mine, what cause have I for dread? God's daunting law, Christ mastered in my stead. Faultless I stand with righteous works, not mine, saved by my Lord's vicarious death and life. His robes for mine, God's justice is appeased, Jesus is crushed, and thus the Father's pleased. Christ drank God's wrath on sin, then cried, "'Tis done. Sin's wage is paid, propitiation won. His robes for mine, such anguish none can know. Christ, God's beloved, condemned as though his foe, he as though I, accursed and left alone, I as though he embraced and welcomed home, clothed in the priestly garments, which Aaron said were crafted with great wisdom, right? Or the Exodus says Aaron's uh, robes were crafted with great wisdom. They're for glory and for beauty. And it's the wisdom of the omniscient God of heaven that sewed your clothes together as a priest of God. And it's for glory and for beauty so that you and I can serve him in spite of our filthy rags with the righteousness of Christ upon us. And so God's priests are clothed with priestly garments. And then finally, God's priests minister for the Lord. They minister for the Lord, not for themselves, not for other men even, but for the Lord. Look at verse 1 again. Take unto thee Aaron thy brother and his sons with him from among the children of Israel, that he may minister unto me, the Lord says. And again, this is uh, thrice times emphasized. If you look at uh, verse 3, that he may minister unto me in the priest's office. And verse 4, that he may minister unto me in the priest's office. God wants us to get a hold of the fact that as his priests, we are supposed to minister to him and for him. And not live for ourselves. 
Aaron and his sons were chosen to serve the Lord and not themselves. And the same is true for New Testament believers like the Apostle Paul. In Romans chapter 15, 16, Paul describes his his life's work as that of a priest. And he says so metaphorically. He says that his offering were, were the Gentiles that he brought to the Lord. The churches that he helped to plant, the the believers that he helped to disciple. It was an offering that he brought to the Lord as God's priest. And in that verse, he says that he did so as the minister of Jesus Christ. We work as priests because we want to please the Lord. We want to serve him. As you scan the writings of Paul, you realize, of course, that he took this calling very seriously, didn't he? And we learn from him what, it, what is our job as the priests of God. He explains that our priesthood has the ministry of reconciliation. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 18, it says, And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Jesus Christ reconciled us to God. And now he gives to us, puts in our hands, that same work that it might be true of others. Others who are at enmity with God. Others who are estranged from him. God wants this reconciliation to occur. And so he says, you are my priest. This is your ministry. This you must do. We not only have the ministry of reconciliation, but also the ministry of intercession. Paul explains in 1 Timothy 1, 2, uh, 1. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, 1 Timothy 2, 1. I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Go on and say, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who have all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Who wants Lee's kids to have religious freedom in this country? Who wants them to lead quiet and peaceable lives at the same time they're living honest and godly lives. That's religious freedom. It's up to God's priests to pray for that. We have this ministry of intercession and this religious freedom is really because God wants all to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. That passage tells us religious freedom helps people be saved and that's why we pray for it. So we have the ministry of reconciliation, the ministry of intercession. As God's priests, we have the ministry of sacrifice as well, especially self-sacrifice. And in this, we're very much like our Savior, aren't we? (coughs) Where he was the priest, but he was also the sacrifice. He was the lamb, not just the priest. He offered himself. And he says to us that if we want to follow him, we have to take up our cross to do so and die daily, as Paul said, 
So this ministry of sacrifice is really a ministry of self-sacrifice. We sacrifice ourselves, our ambitions, our desires, our opinions, our plans. And we say, Lord, not my will, but thine be done, just like our high priest taught us in his prayer. Romans 12, 1 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So we have the ministry of sacrifice, and then finally we have the ministry of the local church. So vital to God's mission for his priesthood today. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 21 through 25 says, And having an high priest over the house of God, this is his assignment. <laughs> Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let's worship corporately. Let us is a plural command. We do this together. Draw near in worship. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promise. Let's stand together on the truth and not compromise it. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. We're a body. We have to take care of one another. We're connected. We have to love one another. And we do these three commands. Let us draw near. Let us hold fast. Let us consider one another through this participle. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Be a church. Be a gathering. Be a meeting, people. And don't forsake. Because you're God's priests. This we must do. God's priests live for the Lord and not for themselves. Hebrews sums up, just in conclusion here, the royal priesthood of Jesus Christ in a very simple way in uh, verse 2 of that chapter. The writer just simply says, Jesus was faithful to him who appointed him. That's all. That sums it all up. And that faithfulness defeated Satan and saves us from our sins. But what will the Lord say to us when he assesses our faithfulness to our royal priesthood? Will he have found us faithful? Have we been faithful priests for our Lord? Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, we confess before you that we are in awe and tremble before the responsibilities that we have read about from your word here this evening. We thank you for your calling in each of our lives to be your priesthood, Lord Jesus. We thank you.
Father, that in him we have our sent deliverer and also our high priest who offered that sacrifice to save us. Lord, may we take confidence in the righteousness in which you have robed us, these priestly garments of the righteousness of our Savior. And when the enemy whispers in our ear of uh, the filth that we find at times in ourselves, may we know, Lord, that you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, and to ready us again for another day of service for the priesthood. And then, Father, the ministry of reconciliation, of intercession, of self-sacrifice, of the local church is before us. And we pray, Lord, that you would give us strength to be faithful. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.